want to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, and that is Happy Car Florida and Happy Car Sales. Now, listen, I've known the owner, Lou Marici, for about 15 years. I've bought cars from him at different locations all throughout South Florida, and now he's doing his own thing, just like me. Go figure that one. Louis Marici runs happycarsflorida.com, and here's the best part about it. If you're interested in buying a car, whether you have good credit, bad credit, or get this, no credit whatsoever, you can buy a car from Louis. It's very simple. All you do is call 954-745-9599. Very specifically, tell Louis you heard about him on my podcast, Swings and Mishes, and he's going to get you into a car. Again, financing is done right in the dealership. It's easy to get a car. At the end of the day, you'll be driving out with whatever car you want. And here's the best part of it. If the car that you want is not on his lot, Louis is going to get it for you. How do I know? Because you can call him right in the cell phone and ask or text him. 561-716-6463. That's Louis's direct number. You text him and say, hey, Louis, I heard about you on Swings and Mishes. Here's the car I want. Can you get it for me? Bam. You got it. You're out and you're good. No credit, bad credit, good credit. Doesn't make a difference who you are. Louis will take care of you. Again, Happy Car Sales, 954-745-9599, located at 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. You'll be leaving Happy Car Sales. Very happy. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to a fun All-Star Week edition of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer and today your host, Jeremy Taché. Um, and I'm joined by uh, two of our newest additions to Swings and Mishes. As you all know, or hopefully know by this point, we expanded the Swings and Mishes enterprise uh, within the last month or so. Um, we started swingsandmishes.com, and we have both of our English writers with us today. Um, and actually, Lewis has also written in Spanish, but we're just going to call us the, the, the English additions to Swings and Mishes, and that's Ian Smith and Lewis Davila. And so um, I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves. So, Ian, if you want to introduce yourself first and let the people what the, uh, know what they need to know about you uh, before we get started here on our All-Star Week edition of Swings, you can feel free to do that right now. Well, hey, guys. I'm just super excited to be here. I mean, I've been wanting to work with Greg and Jeremy for quite some time. So to be here on this podcast and be writing for you guys is quite exciting. Um, I'm just a little bit of a Marlins fan. I've been mm. a fan since I was real young. Care about baseball and barbecue. <laughs> the barbecue man the barbecue is the big part yeah that's the big part of my life i spend too much time cooking barbecue but it's amazing but um yeah that's pretty much me marlins and barbecues so i just came here to talk to you guys this week and i'm glad to be here yeah we're really excited to have ian on board um you can see all of the stuff that he's written on swingsandmissions.com and now lewis if you want to let the people know uh what is uh up with you i guess this is the gator that's talking to you now I'm Lewis. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I'm a full-time student at the University of Florida, as you probably know already. And it's been a while now, just a huge Marlins fan, and then got the opportunity to like really share my opinions. And it changed from just having fun to something more serious, and here we are. Um, so I now I'm covering the Marlins and the Jumbo Shrimp with Swings and Mishes, and I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, and we're really, really, really excited to have both of these guys on board. 
Um, and so what we're going to get into today for you guys is obviously it's all-star weekend. Uh, we had the futures game where the Marlins had Sixto Sanchez and Isan Diaz participating. Unfortunately, no Monte Harrison uh, this time around as he was a little banged up. Um, they also had Sandy Alcantara in the all-star game. The Homer Derby was crazy. And I guess we'll get into that briefly as well. Um, and then, you know, we'll let you guys know some new news that's interesting on the Marlins front and we'll give you a little review and preview of the rest of the Marlins season. So we got a lot going on on this episode. Um, first, um, I guess what, what we'd like to talk about is both Sixto Sanchez and Isan Diaz in the Futures game. Uh, it was really exciting to see both of these guys out there for the Marlins. And I, I know personally, I really enjoyed seeing some representation of the Miami Marlins on a national level like this. Um, and so what's pretty cool is that Lewis has already sat down with Sixto Sanchez before, has a lot of information on him. And Ian actually has a piece coming out on Isan Diaz sometime this week. So I'm going to let each of these guys chat a little bit about what they saw. So first, Lewis, I guess uh, I'm intrigued to know uh, Sixto was really bringing it. I mean, really bringing it in the Futures game. And I'm intrigued to know what your thoughts were on his performance and, you know, maybe anything else about what his season has been like so far. Well, um, what I saw on the Futures game was actually I, I felt Sixto had been better than that the last time I saw him. Hmm. Um, he was really bringing the heat. His fastball looked amazing. Wasn't commanding the, the slider, the changeup as well as I had seen in Jacksonville. But right. he, he still looked absolutely amazing. And I, I think that's something that stands out. Um, he, he only recorded two outs. But, like, you, even in the hit that Joe Adele got off him up the middle, it was just a weak ground ball. And it really shows you that even when he gets hit, it, despite the velocity, there's not much coming back the other way. It's right. Weak grounders, little flares, like the fly ball to left field he gave up that got caught. So... I think I think what people saw on national television with Sixto on Sunday was not even close to what his ceiling is, of course, and what he actually is right now as a starting pitcher with just three great pitches and plus control. Right. Well, and I think that's the most interesting thing about Sixto Sanchez is like, figuring out where his ceiling is really going to be. I mean, what is this guy going to turn into for the Marlins? And so to see him in the, in the futures game like that, you know, he only threw two thirds of an inning, but it was, it was exciting to see him out there nonetheless. And, and, and there wasn't a ton of talk from the announcers, but what we did get from the announcers was, Oh boy, this throws, this guy throws very hard. Um, and so Ian, I'm, I'm intrigued to know, you know, Isan Diaz got to play the full game. We got four at bats or four plate appearances rather. Um, you know, he was out there for, you know, the entire full game. He made a couple plays at second. So, you know, what were your thoughts on, on how Isan performed on that national stage? Well, I thought, I thought he looked great. I thought when he, as soon as he walked on the field, he was instantly ready for the stage. Um, the kid presents himself so well in the baseball field that when he gets on the field, it's just special to watch. He looked like Javi Baez on that tag out in second. Yeah. I, think, I think he caught the ball from Joey Bart, I believe, but. He made it look so smooth and so effortless. And the throw across the diamond was good, too. I mean, he gets questions on the arm strength, but he looked fantastic in the game. He got squeezed on a couple good defensive plays when he was at the plate, but he looked great, especially in batting practice. I guess there was a strong wind coming out from center field in batting practice, mm -hmm. heading to home plate, but he took two balls deep to center field. And I heard scouts raving about his power during batting practice, that he was one of the guys that really stood out. I was excited to see him. I mean – 
he's had a great year. He's just really putting in, making a name for himself on a, on a national stage. And I think he'll be everywhere you want to see at the end of the year, top 100-wise, and um, Marlins Park real soon. It was just a real exciting weekend for him. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to see what ends up happening with, with Isan Diaz. And we'll get into that a little bit later um, you know, in this episode and talk about you know, when you can expect to see him. We talked a bit about that last week here on Swings and Mishes. But um, on the other side of things, and I'm going to chat about this real quick, is, is Sandy Alcantara in the All-Star game. It, it was so special to see um, you know, every year, every team has to be represented in the All-Star game, right? And it, it, a lot of um, people around the game, and even I felt like Cespedes uh, Family Barbecue on Twitter pointed this out in the most perfectly way. While Sandy Alcantara's base stats were not at the same level as some of the other All-Stars that were represented in the game, Sandy Alcantara's raw stuff, when you were watching that game, there were not many pitchers that were out there that you were like, oh, that guy's way more impressive than Sandy Alcantara. And so it was so cool to see sort of a, a, a perfect representation of what this Marlins organization is going to be going forward represented in the All-Star game. You had Sandy Alcantara, a young guy. Um, for that matter, he's Dominican. You know, you saw him as part of a trade in, in that started this build, that sort of um, sparked this build. He's one of those pieces that came back. You saw him get to go out there and face legitimate hitters, obviously, in an all-star game, show off his stuff, show off the potential that's there that is akin to the potential within the Marlins organization, especially in their starting pitching. And that's the part that was so cool, right? I mean, the starting pitching has been what, what carried the team thus far this year to the wins that they do have. And, you know, to see a starting pitcher out there like Sandy, a guy who we interviewed on here a couple of weeks back, who's clearly just a really wonderful human being, uh, to see him out there representing the Marlins in what was actually a pretty crucial moment of the game. It was a 4-3 ball game in the eighth, and he needed to get – uh, the hold could have been in line for the win if the National League did add any sort of run. So it was exciting to see Sandy out there. And I, I really enjoyed watching him pitch on that stage. And he looked like he belonged. So, I mean, hopefully we could see Sandy and multiple other players from the Marlins going forward. But I, I think we'll see Sandy Alcantara in some all-star games, um, maybe for many years to come. Another couple of players that maybe we could see and um, – Recently, we're recording this on Wednesday night for a Thursday morning podcast. Earlier this evening, John Heyman reported that J.J. Blade is going to officially sign with the Marlins. And what we can report here on Swings and Mishes is that Cameron Meisner will be signing with the Marlins before their Friday deadline as well. That will happen. Cameron Meisner will 100% sign with the Marlins. Um, and, you know, we're excited to see what can happen with both Blade and Meisner uh, as they ink up as the first two players that the Marlins selected. Um, so I'm going to start with Lewis here. And Lewis, I, I'd love to get your feedback on either Blade or Meisner or both, if you're interested in giving me both. But I, I'd love to know what you think about these two guys that are going to be Miami Marlins. When, when, Blade, when the Blade hype started in the Marlins circles, a lot of people tabbed Christian Yelich you know, it, it's a it's a natural association I think uh, people have been making with lefties that can hit lately. Right. I when when I see his swing though, I, I want to make a more like um, grounded uh, hmm. 
like opinion on this. Yeah. Um, I, I see Michael Conforto. I think the swing mm. is almost identical. It the the power is there too, and obviously the they they've been talking about that little hitch he has, but he he's hit everywhere he's been, and I I think he's he's gonna be. He was a safe pick. There there were some higher upside players in my opinion, uh, behind him like uh, Riley Green and C.J. Abrams, but sure. I I think Blade fits this system very well. He he answers a lot of things that the system needed, especially right. hit wise that the system didn't really take off that well this year offensively. And then, so to almost not really contradict, but mm. I think Cameron Meisner is the one who, who should be reminding people of Christian Yelich. His swing to me looks like Christian Yelich is, uh, he's uh, super athletic. He's probably got higher upside than the day who was picked 31 spots ahead of him. Mm. And he, he he can play center field. He's got the arm. He's got the speed. This is a kid that if he figures it out the plate, he he could be the best player on a team. Yeah, and let and let me follow up with you on that. When it comes to you know making those types of comparisons and seeing those types of swings, should we expect these two guys to be near the top of the Marlins organization in terms of of? you know, their prospect watch on terms of their MLB pipeline sometime soon. I mean, I know Blade will instantly be there, but you think Meisner can make that type of climb as well? Well, I think, well, Blade is going to probably slot right behind Steakstill as the number two prospect in the system. Right. And then I I have Meisner personally as like ranked seventh or eighth Mm. because of like the pitchers that have moved up lately. But yeah, I, I think Meisner's upside is really high. and a lot of people feel he will hit once he gets his timing down. He he doesn't really have like much of a, a concern with the plate discipline or anything like that. So I, I, I think he, he presents right there with Monte Harrison, some of the most mm. like legit tools in this system. Well, and that's, what's really interesting to me about all of this is the way that, Cameron Meisner in this strange way, it, it almost feels like when you take a high school guy and you go, oh my God, he has all of these tools. There's so much potential. And yet Cameron Meisner is someone that's already hit at the college level. So you could feel pretty good about him. And, and Ian, I, I'm wondering sort of your thoughts on Blade and Meisner as, as they'll both ink up with the Marlins in the next couple of days. I mean, I'm instantly excited. They're two of the more pure hitters the Marlins have anywhere in the system, instantly. I think Bleday's got immense talent in his bat. I mean, he blew up the boards this year. I started, I started getting really high on him and think early in March. Right. But um, he's, he's just a talent. I mean, I, I mean, you remember making comparisons. The guy I see in him, like, down the road is a baby Anthony Rizzo. Mm. Uh, the swing, not exactly the same, but he provides the same kind of power now. And if he continues to tap into it at the pro ranks, he's going to be a talented player going forward. And with Cameron Meisner, my comparison, it's going to be a little outlandish we're going to talk about. But, mm. I mean, he looks like Cody Bellinger. Um, not not the Cody Bellinger we're seeing in 2019, but the dude's got so much talent going forward. He plays multiple positions. He's athletic. I think he's 6'4", 215. He's, he's a huge kid. Um, dude, has, like, like Lewis said, has all the tools all over the field. He faced college pitching, and he was in the SEC, so he faced the best pitching right. over the last few years. Brady Singer, Jackson Kohar, 
Casey Mize. I mean, you can you can you can ramble off a list, but the dude knows how to hit, and he's hit against quality pitching his whole career. So I'm excited to see what he can do in a pro system with a team backing him. You guys are are killing me right now. Not not in a bad way, but with you guys right now telling me that we've got comparisons to Michael Conforto, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, and Anthony Rizzo. These are the comparisons that you guys have made. And I have you both muted right now, so you don't even have a chance to come back and have this conversation with me. I'm just going to say that these comparisons must have Marlins fans that are listening to this salivating. And I know that ultimately, and I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of both of you, neither Ian nor Lewis are saying that instantly J.J. Blade or Cameron Meisner will be those players. These are player comparisons. These are the type of production in terms of slash lines that they anticipate being similar to those types of players as they move their ranks through the minor league system. But it is an exciting time as Blade and Meisner will be signing with the Marlins and they'll get their two left-handed bats into the system and ready to go. Um, moving away from the minor league side of things and moving away from the, from the future side of things, Let's talk about the present and let's talk actually a little bit about the past. Um, it's the halfway point as we've reached the all-star break, a little past the halfway point in terms of games played. Um, the Marlins are obviously not really a team that's going to be competing for a playoff spot. I think we can say that pretty clearly. Uh, <laughs> the Marlins in some ways have actually maybe overachieved in certain parts of their first half schedule and obviously underachieved in terms of in terms of record, they are on pace for over 100 losses. But there are really positive things to look at um, from from both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball for the Marlins at, at the end of the first half. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of players step up, and we talked about it a little bit last week that we now know there are certain guys that look like they're a part of the future on this organization besides just the pitching. So um, I am going to start with you, Ian, and and, and ask you, you know, what was the thing that you noticed in the first half or who was the player you noticed in the first half or anything you want to talk about for the first half that really made you smile, that really made you think, okay, this is, this is something cool that I really enjoyed about the first half of this, this season. Or theoretically, it could be something that, that maybe you didn't like. I mean, I, ha- I got to go with one player. I mean, he's been somebody I've been high on since last year, and that's Garrett Cooper. He had such a rough start to his year again with these freak injuries he seems to have to start oh the gosh. year every year. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy how unlucky he gets at certain times, but you see what kind of impact he can make when he gets on the field. He's made hard contact all year. He's hit some massive home runs, some big spots, and the, and the pitches he's hit these home runs on have been the best part about it. He's taken curveballs in the inside corner for grand slams, and, and it's just been exciting to watch this kid perform. He's got a lot of talent in his bat, and it's been exciting to see him in this Marlins lineup just really energize the rest of the team when he came back from injury. Yeah, well, and that's the cool thing about what Cooper did is, and Lewis will get into this right now, actually, but to see Cooper enter the lineup and, like you just mentioned, really energize the lineup. So it's not just that he's produced and he's, um, you know, put the Marlins in a position where they can look at him and go, okay, maybe this is a piece, but it's also the fact that he came in and he allowed other guys to play to the best of their potential. So Lewis... You know, as I turn to you here, who were the players in the first half that maybe you looked at and went, hey, you know what, this is a sign of of something good going to the future? Or again, you know, maybe this is something that I wish I could see more out of from someone, but but maybe, you know, who were the players that you looked at and went, all right, we've got something going here? 
well, Ian mentioned Garrett Cooper. And, you know, when you have a guy who comes in uh, after an injury, you got a lineup that's struggling immensely. And he gets on a pace where he's hitting 320. He's got eight home runs, slugging 494. You, you start to add some protection to other guys. And then I, I think when he slotted into the lineup, that immediately helped Brian Anderson, who since May 17th, which was when the Marlins started this much better run of not being historically awful. Uh, hmm. he, he's hitting 277. He has nine home runs. The strikeouts are down. It, it's like you have Brian Anderson from last year, but better since right. Garrett Cooper got in the lineup. And then you've got guys in front of them, like Harold Ramirez, who came up on the same day as Cooper came back from the IL. He's hitting 290. Not as much power, but he's getting on base pretty regularly, at least compared to, like, some of the options from before. Right. And that the best move Don Mattingly has made, and I think he should have done this earlier in the year, was move Miguel Rojas from the eighth spot and seventh into the, the first spot, the leadoff. Uh, since he's been there, he's hitting 322 on base, 363. Obviously, not totally sustainable. His batting average on balls in play is pretty high, but mm. he's making contact. He's, he's basically been a spark plug at a position in the lineup where there's been absolutely no production all year. And, and that's what I think has helped turn this lineup around. And you can see the, how the team focus is starting to turn on to Miggy now that he's in a position to succeed because hitting the eighth spot is one of the hardest things to do in the major leagues. And I, I think moving him up there has just been the, the best decision this season. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating is, you know, the, the four guys you just mentioned at this point are the four guys that start off this lineup. It's Miggy, it's Harold, it's, it's Coop and it's Andy. And it, it's pretty cool to see those four guys producing in the way that they are. And like you just mentioned, it's great to see them put in a position to succeed. That's the thing that that's exciting. And, when, you know, you mentioned the leadoff spot. I mean, there was really historic when, when the Marlins lineup was going south at the beginning of the year, or I guess started south and eventually worked its way up. We saw some historically bad production out of the leadoff spot um, all, all across, no matter who was batting in the leadoff spot. And so to see someone in, and Miguel Rojas be as hot as he is right now in the leadoff spot. You can only hope that he keeps this type of production going is, you know, this is his first full season as a, as an everyday major league baseball player. And maybe, maybe this was there all along, but it's nice to see him succeeding as he's obviously also just a really wonderful guy uh, and, and um, a leader in the team and, you know, Don Mattingly, there's a reason Don Mattingly had said before the all-star selection officially came out that, you know, he suggested Miguel Rojas because that guy on and off the field and from a leadership perspective is an all-star caliber player. So it's exciting to see him finally uh, really coming into his own. But between those four guys, I, I, the thing that I'm going to laugh at because I'm going to my first half recap here, how do you guys not mention the pitching? The pitching has been maybe the most fun thing about this team and, and where obviously, you know, there are ups and downs with every team. Every single starter has had some great starts and every single starter has had some not so great starts, some that have been really bad. But between having the expectations that we did going into this season, 
we had pretty high expectations of the pitching staff. I think all the way around in terms of every Marlins media member, everybody went into the season and went, look at what they just did in the spring training. I think all these guys are pretty good. And they've not only lived up to expectations, but to me, they, they've kind of shattered what I anticipated coming from the starting staff. And the reason I say that is because not only did the five guys that you know we saw go into the year as your five starters produce at maybe a better level than we had initially anticipated, but on top of that, once Jose Ureña went down, once Pablo Lopez went down, once Caleb Smith went down, Every person that they called up, every person that was brought into the position to brought into the position to be a starting pitcher, Jordan Yamamoto, Zach Gallen, Eliezer Hernandez, they've all pitched well too. The starting pitching of this organization has been sort of put on display, and in the first half of the year, it really excites you to see. Okay, look, those are one hundred percent arms for the future right you went in and hoped okay we saw something good from pablo last year we saw something good from sandy last year both dealt with injuries you know pablo's dealing with one now um we saw some flashes from caleb before he got hurt you know trevor richards was good can he duplicate it it's cool to see that those young guys we talked about and more are you know in a position where I'm looking at him going, yeah, those guys are major league starting pitchers and they're good ones at that. Um, and so going into the second half of the year, obviously that's something that we can look forward to as we do come back from the all-star break. It's hit or miss on, you know, one of the guys you mentioned, Lewis and Brian Anderson, it's sort of 50, 50 as to whether or not he'll come back and start right away uh, for the Marlins. Um, obviously he was dealing with some injuries. We could see Neil Walker playing some third base as a result um, as the Marlins try to showcase him before the deadline. Um, but as we go into the second half of the season, Lewis, I, I wonder, what is it that you're looking looking for from the Marlins? If you're, if you're a Marlins fan going into the second half of the year, what is something that you want to see from this Marlins team? I, for the most part, I'd like to see the same guys we mentioned before, Cooper, Ramirez, Miggy, B.A., consistency uh try to i mean it would be a little outlandish to expect them to continue to produce at the rate they were but they they've still been quality major leaguers and you want to see that as the core starts to build itself because i think very quickly this is going to turn into a situation where the marlins find themselves with something that maybe not everybody expected that they they might be ready for a run not maybe next year, maybe the one after mm. things have to go well and it can start this second half. I think one guy to look for is Alfaro. Right. We've, we knew when, when the Marlins acquired him, I think we all knew what to expect. This is a guy who struck out a lot, but had a lot of potential, not only at the plate as we've seen, but defensively. And I think the bat has been ahead of him as opposed to his defense. But right. even at, at the plate, there's room for improvement. Uh, a lot of strikeouts, but at the same time, a lot of production uh, with the power. He's got 10 home runs, matched his power numbers from last year with the Phillies in, I think, like almost 40 less games exactly. Mm -hmm. And I, I think he's one of the biggest things to look for because – when this lineup started forming together in the first half, he got knocked down because he was struggling as well. And when he started to pick it up, you're seeing a lot of production from the bottom half of the lineup too. Right. 
I, I think he's one of the most important players in that clubhouse with the pitching staff in the lineup. And I just, I, I think the most important thing is to see him among others, just develop more consistency and carry it every day. Uh, their last homestand, which is actually the weirdest thing. They show up mm. from a road trip where they scored runs and they were pitching well. And then they come home and the pitching just disappears. But the the offense was there, which is not what we usually expect in Marlins Park, which right. I like to joke around and say is unnecessarily big. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's potential. I think, I think they have the pieces to form at least some quality role players and they're building something nice. And then as time goes on, they can add in uh, a superstar or whoever they feel can lead that team like through their statistics, not just as a, as a leader in the clubhouse. Right. Well, and, and I, I tend to agree with you there. I mean, I, I have not been shy about my love for Jorge Alfaro um, just in terms of the potential that I see in him at the plate and behind the plate. And, and also, goodness gracious, that guy plays hard. I mean, every single time he hits, he's a catcher. He's catching nine inning games. Every single time he hits the ball, he busts it out of the batter's box. Um, every ground ball, I've seen him multiple times, and it's similar to Harold Ramirez, where he'll hit, a ground, hit something on the ground and force an error just because of the hustle that, that's not necessarily anticipated. So I love watching that guy play, and you're right. To see consistency from him in the bottom half of the order would mean that the top half of the order has some pressure taken off, and then all of a sudden you're really starting to groove. Uh, Ian, uh, what are you looking forward to here in the second half? Uh, I'm really excited to see where this team goes after July 31st and when and how we see the three uh, New Orleans boys on this roster. And by Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz should be in Miami at some point on the second half, I'd imagine. Right. And I just really want to see what they can do in this lineup. Those are potentially three blocks that could be in the lineup for the next few years. And if they come up in the second half and instantly start producing again, or in Brinson's, ca- in Brinson's case, start producing at all. Right. Um, it would be extremely exciting to see. I mean, those, that this lineup could be extremely potent with those three guys in it hitting. And I'm really excited to see the, the future of Miami really start to show its face in 2019. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when it comes to those three guys, uh, you expect to see them coming up, but it is going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens um, in terms of when they come up. Ian, when they come up, do you expect them all to be able to continue the success that they've had at that AAA level? You know, whether that's September, whether it's earlier, do you expect to be able to see them um, produce at the level that they have, or, or do you expect to see a little bit of a learning curve? I'd, I'd hope to see some some pr- production at the, instantly, but you never know. I think Hassan has the the best plate discipline out of the three already at the, at his age. I mean, he can come up and work a walk against anybody at any level right now. And he's got, he's starting to show good power out of a left hand at bat. So I think he has a immediate impact potential in his bat as soon as he walks on the field. But Brinson, I really want to see if he can cut down the strikeouts when he makes it back to the major league level. He's worked his strikeout rate down, I think, 6% since he went down to AAA. And it's exciting to see. I mean, that's not the hugest improvement that you like, but it's something. The kid's working. His swing has changed almost every week since he's been down there. He's trying to figure out something that works for him. And that shows something that he hasn't shown in his 
prior demotions before, and that's working on his product. And I'm excited to see that. And Monte Harrison being unhealthy right now is unfortunate, but as soon as he gets back, I think he'll we'll be excited to see him in September. I mean, he's, he's a 30-30 potential type guy going forward, so if he can produce any kind of speed and power when he gets to Miami, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, you know, it's funny that uh, the way you described everybody because I, they're all very different types of players, you know, and that's what's going to be kind of cool is to see when they do get called up. And I, and I think we see Diaz, you know, we talked about this last week. We'll see Diaz after the trade deadline. Like as soon as the trade deadline passes, whether Starlin Castro is traded or not, Isan Diaz is a second baseman. Isan Diaz will be playing second base after the trade deadline, whether Starlin Castro is here or not. But to see Isan Diaz come up and make the type of impact that he makes, to see Monte Harrison come up and make the type of impact that he makes, to see Lewis Brinson come up and hopefully make the type of impact he can make, those are all going to be three very different types of players. Um, and whether that's coming up in August in Diaz's case, most likely, or coming up in September for uh, you know, Brinson and Harrison, uh, the one, the, the one thing that I do want to mention, I made this comparison before he went down and then Ian, you just mentioned, uh, the way that they've sort of reconstructed the swing of Lewis Brinson. It, it reminds me a little bit of justice Winslow. And this is a very strange comparison, but sending Lewis Brinson down a guy that we knew could get some things done at the major league level, right? He was occasionally hitting a homer. He was occasionally stealing some bases. He was occasionally flashing the leather. But the Marlins making the decision to send him down and rework his swing in a lot of ways, to rework his approach in a lot of ways, and hopefully maximize his potential, reminds me of after Justice Winslow went through his shoulder surgery uh, with the Miami Heat, And he was really struggling before that to shoot the three and really shoot with any sort of uh, touch outside of the paint. And then ironically, touch around the paint, but that's a different story. It's a different podcast. But uh, Justice Winslow was struggling to shoot. And they saw a form that could get it done occasionally, but really wasn't ever going to be efficient. And so during an offseason, the Heat reworked his shot reworked his mechanics he struggled at the beginning of that he struggled to produce initially but eventually because they did what they felt was necessary to rework that guy get the most out of him justice winslow's turned into a really proficient three-point shooter and i think that lewis brinson could maybe maximize his talent based off of the reworking of his swing that he's done so i hope that's what we see when he comes back up to the major league level um in terms of me what i'm looking forward to is again no real mention of the pitching, guys. Uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with these starters the rest of the way. I, I'm hoping to see Pablo come back healthy. Hopefully we can see that happen. I look forward to seeing Sandy Alcantara's second half. I am very excited to get Caleb Smith back into the rotation consistently as he was really the ace before he went down. And sort of seeing what happens with the rest of the rotation as it evolves after that. But it's going to be really fun to watch this team. You know, like like I had mentioned on this podcast at the beginning of the year, I expected these games to be relatively competitive and low scoring and entertaining as a result. And that's what most of them have been. This this team's pitching has kept the minute. The offense has done just enough. If we see what we want from Lewis and consistency uh, from some of the guys on the offensive side, like Jorge Alfaro, like Garrett Cooper, like Harold Ramirez, 
they might win some games with the pitching also remaining consistent. And, you know, as we inch closer to August and September and start to see some of the younger guys come up, we'll see glimpses of the future. So even though the Marlins won't be in a playoff run during the second half, could be a really fun second half for any Marlins fan. So before we go, I'm, I'll, I'll start here with Ian. Any things you want to add uh, just before we wrap up here on this episode of Swings and Mishes? I mean, I'm, I'm just extremely happy that you guys brought us on this week. It's <laughs> extremely fun. I mean, I'm glad to talk baseball with you guys, and especially the second half of this Marlins team. Um, you start to talk about the pitching one last time. I really want to see some consistency with the bullpen in the second mm. half. Uh, there's been a lot of injuries and inconsistency so far this year, and we've got some surprising performances out of Nick Anderson and Austin Bryce. But uh, I'd love to see if we can get anything out of Adam Conley in the second half. And, um, yeah, that's really my last topic. Oh, Drew Steckenrider should be coming back healthy at some point in the second half as well, so that should be a good addition to this bullpen. You know, I almost forgot Steckenrider was a person. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You're, you're right, and being able to see something out of the bullpen would be really nice. Lewis, you got anything to add before we wrap up here? Yeah, I, I mean, I just wanted to throw in a, a nice Austin Bryce mention hmm. who has suddenly become one of the most effective relief pitchers the Marlins have right now. He's got a 1.93 ERA in 37 innings. His, he's moved away from his sinker more to his curveball, and it's been paying off. And I, I think he is somebody who could potentially be part of a better bullpen down the line. All right, guys. Well, that, that was some really solid information. I enjoyed having both Ian and Lewis on here with me. We will have Craig back here on Swings and Mishes next week. Don't worry. It's just his all-star break as well. You know, the all-stars get a chance to uh, hang out. So all the role players like ourselves had to, you know, step in and, and, and thrive this week with our opportunity. So I guess you could call this our version of the Futures game. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for listening to Swings and Mishes. Obviously, uh, go check out swingsandmishes.com for articles from both Lewis and Ian. Ian will have a new one on Isan Diaz later this week. Be sure to check it out. Um, and, you know, stay tuned with swingsandmishes.com. Follow us at Swings and Mishes. And obviously, if you are listening to this podcast, please like, subscribe, rate, review, do all of the things that you hear at the end of all of the podcasts that you listen to. We hope you all enjoyed your all-star break and get back out to Marlins Park this weekend for the series with the Mets. As always, want to thank All Year Cooling for presenting this podcast. All Year Cooling has serviced my unit in my house for more than a decade. Tommy Smith is the best. There's no one better that you could ever ask for, especially with the summer here, folks. Do you need your AC checked? Do you need it repaired? They give free estimates. They have the best financing of any air conditioning company in the state of Florida. And if you want to get a new unit, you need to call Tommy right now, 888-204-5554. As I mentioned, I have a unit in my house. And if I should ever have an issue, and we're talking about two or three in 10 years, I call all year. They're at my house in 10 minutes. They have the best service plans possible, and they take care of you because they've been family-owned and operated for more than 25 years. That's Tommy Smith, my friend, the owner of All Year Cooling, 888-204-5554. What are you waiting for? The summer is here. Before your unit goes down, call all year right now and get it repaired. 888 204 5554 
incredible financing options at All Year Cooling. Stay cool in the summer with Tommy Smith and All Year Cooling. 888-204-5554.